a chance for Mule and Burroughs. They score! And the Mules score! Scores! Three in a row for the Mules! Duke has to put it up at the buzzer! It's good! And the Mules win it! Coming to you from Allentown, Pennsylvania, welcome to the Mule and Mules podcast. Each episode, we'll talk to the coaches, staff, athletes, and alumni who make up the Muhlenberg Athletics family and are proud to call themselves Mules. And our guest this week is Nate Millen, head football coach at Muhlenberg College. Millen was named head coach following the 2017 season and in his first two years has led the Mules to an outstanding record of 24 wins and only three losses. The Mules won the Centennial Conference Championship both years and in 2019 advanced to the NCAA Division III semifinals for the first time ever. Originally from Western New York, and you'll see why that's important in just a few seconds, Millen was named Division III Coach of the Year by the American Football Coaches Association for the 2019 season. Welcome to the Muhlenberg Mules podcast, Nate. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. And uh, as, as we crank up for the spring semester, so excited to have our students back and just, just kind of ready to have that energy back on campus. Now, in terms of things you're excited about, what one might be, you know, having the students back, but maybe maybe 1A or 1B might be uh, the success of the Buffalo Bills, your team. One win away from the Super Bowl, a long time coming. That has to be very exciting for you as well. It's been a great run. I think it's been the one thing that has maybe kept everybody in Western New York going. And then especially here in Allentown, if we weren't going to have a season and the, the Buffalo Bills were were not good like they usually are, I think that would have been a, a double down on things. And so I've watched more NFL football than I ever have. Our schedule in season is, is usually very hectic on a week-to-week basis where Tuesdays and Wednesdays when we meet in the morning with our student-athletes, we're in around 6 a.m., sometimes a little before, sometimes a little after, and, and we're home at 11 or 12 at night, depending on who we're playing and if we're home or away. And so our schedule is, is really busy and you don't have time to keep up with things. And so this year, to have the Bills be as successful as they are and then have them in prime time and for us to have a little bit less hectic of a schedule has been really fun to watch. They're a fun football team. If nobody's watched them, you've got nothing to do Sunday a little after six o'clock, tune in. I always call them, everybody picks on me because I call them America's team because they wear red, white, and blue. And, uh, <laughs> and the other nickname is always New York's football team. They are the only team that plays in New York. So those Jets and Giants fans, you know, they're the Jersey Jets and the Jersey Giants. In the middle. <laughs> and so everybody from New York, everybody from the Northeast, uh, we hope that they're jumping on the Bills Mafia here. Yeah, you know, and I think I think the, the Bills should be Muhlenberg's team this year. I mean, there's a big sign in Buffalo that says Allentown, right, for, for Josh Allen. So, uh, I mean, come on, right? Yeah, the Allentown neighborhood in Buffalo is is obviously notorious. And obviously here in Allentown, Pennsylvania, I've been – kind of used in Facebook and social media as well to, to call it Josh Allentown, Pennsylvania for any of the, the Bills backers here in, uh, in Pennsylvania and, and anybody in Allentown. Uh, again, with COVID, it has uh, hindered uh, my ability maybe to, to rally everybody. Uh, I think if it was a non-COVID year, 
I probably have a lot of people over at the house or in the lawn tailgating. I don't think we'd be jumping through tables uh, like the Bills fans do. Uh, we'll, keep it, we'll, we'll keep it a little more civil than that. But nonetheless, uh, we, we would be rallying around Josh. This is his uh, unofficial home in, in Pennsylvania is Josh Allentown here. Uh, and, and I think of the West End at Muhlenberg as well. I think it's a team that we can, we can rally around. Uh, also, if, if you watch the game this past weekend when they beat the Ravens, they, were, they showed a Bills fan in the crowd holding a sign that said, find a way. And there's nothing, there's nothing more Muhlenberg football than, than that. No, yeah, as you, that was Mike Donnelly's longtime saying. And, and we would finish a lot of team meetings going over detailed points. Coach Donnelly, the Duke, was notorious for his details and um, his his attention to the smallest thing. He would show us his, his notepads. He would go on vacation with his kids and uh, he admittedly wasn't a huge beach guy. And he would have footprint drawings of where linebackers should step and, and just the minutest of details and angles. And so he would go over these details over and over and over again. And at the end of the meeting, he would just say, and then if nothing else works, just find a way. And, <laughs> and, and that, was, that was it. Um, and the Bills have certainly done that uh, this season. And, and they're, they're a great franchise. They're a great organization. And the things that they do to support people is wonderful for Josh Allen. They've named a uh, wing uh, of the Children's Hospital uh, after his grandmother, Patricia, who passed away. And the donations came in in $17 amounts. And then last week, to kind of recognize Lamar Jackson for for getting hurt, they were sending $8 donations to uh, Lamar Jackson's foundation, which helps feed children in, uh, I want to say, Kentucky or the Louisville area where, where he went to college. And so as a fan base, they've been superior to most uh, in, in, in almost every single way. And uh, again, last week, knocking out the Ravens, again, I want to want to shout out James Diggs, who's uh, from Baltimore, our tailback, who's a big Ravens fan. And, and he and I were chirping back and forth throughout the week. <laughs> one, one last chance to let him know that, that, that the Bills sent the Ravens home. Uh, <laughs> um, you mentioned that, that you've had more time to watch NFL games this year than in past years. I imagine more college games as well on, on Saturdays, obviously less busy on Saturdays. When you watch these games, do you watch them as a fan or do, or do you watch them as a coach? And, and does that depend on if the Bills are playing or not? It really does. The light kind of turns on. I usually have my notepad with me and we have a, a football staff chat as well. And so on Saturdays and Sundays, it's really active where uh, Coach David will watch a play or a game and, and he'll say, hey, is everybody watching this? Or, or if a game is coming down to the wire, another one of our assistants will, will, will chime in and say, hey, turn this game on. And I think when you, when you turn a game on, you're um, locked into seeing what they're doing, especially at the end of a game, situationally. Who's on the field? What are they doing for time management, formations, all of those types of things? You're, you're really watching it as a coach. Uh, again, Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney are out there. They're paying them $8 million for a reason. They better be good at their job. And so if I can't steal something from them, uh, who am I going to steal it from at that point? And then I do, when the bills are on, I do think it turns into more of a fan <laughs> than anything else. And I, I haven't 
screamed and yelled at the TV, but I was at the end of the Colts game. I stood for uh, the last kind of six minutes in my living room. And so I don't want to end up on a YouTube video of being one of those fans that is just wild and crazy. But I think it does kind of take hold of you emotionally when, when, when you're watching your team. Are there games or plays rather that you've seen in the past or you've borrowed from in the past that, that specifically you know that, that Muhlenberg has gone on to run or, or kind of adopted those to the personnel that, that Muhlenberg has that you've uh, stolen from, from what you've seen watching games? I, I can't recall one this past year. Again, now 2019 was so long ago for us, but certainly the teams that were using a tight end set in college football, that's a little more rare. So in the NFL, how our teams, we had three-time All-American and Ryan Curtis, who's now on our staff. And in the NFL, they've become such a vital part of every offense that you watch those, those individuals and what routes that they're running. What is Travis Kelsey doing? Jimmy Graham, when, when he was in his prime, how are they using him inside the red zone? And so when you see those type of, of individuals, you do watch to see what they're doing. And, and then more specifically, maybe how they're finding a matchup. And, and I think that's, we can't necessarily change our offense to, to make some new plays at, at week seven or eight or nine. But if they're lining up Travis Kelsey backside one-on-one the whole game, that is something that we could have done with Ryan Curtis. And who are they using as, as a fast guy, you know? And then... The ones you like to watch as well is when you have a go-to guy, as we've had in the past, I think with Mike Nikowski, his go-to guy was Ryan and, and Max Kieran. And so you say, how is a team like Buffalo, how do they keep feeding Stefan Diggs? And how, how does Aaron Rodgers keep finding Devontae all of the time? And so it's, it's those little nuances where you can mix and match into our offense uh, and that same thing with our defense and our special teams um, they're motioning these guys to see if it's man or zone but also to get them lined up where they want to be and and so those things are a little bit easier to incorporate uh, rather than an, an overhaul or, or a new install of certain things but there are certain there there absolutely are influences and I just can't think of one off the top of my head where we said yes, we ran that play against whomever because we saw it on Monday Night Football. Trick plays stick out the most when you see one, you steal one. Yeah, like, no. like the, Ram, the Rams two-point conversion against the, uh, against the Packers this past weekend. That was a nifty trick play, huh? Yeah, those are, those, they come up with, with some great ones there. And when you see it at that level and it catches somebody off guard, as you know, they're, they're professionals their coaches are professionals and they're so dialed in to the nuances of the game that when you catch an NFL team off guard, you say, wow, that's, that's <laughs> worth, that's worth opening up your notebook and, and writing it down and, and rewinding on the TiVo or whatever it is uh, on the internet that you're watching the game on or NFL networks got the replays up and, and you go through and try to watch it over and over again to, to see exactly what it was. You mentioned that the 2019 season seemed so long ago. We're coming up on, what, about 13 months since since the team last played, but uh, certainly a memorable season 
from Uhlenberg, 13 wins, reaching the final four for the first time in, in school history. And, you know, there, there would have been a lot of excitement for the 2020 season had, had it happened in the fall. What are you doing to try to kind of keep that excitement alive so that uh, when the team does return to play eventually that you can try to as best as you can take the momentum from that from that great 2019 season forward i think the momentum really helps us in recruiting more than anything else and then certainly a year ago as well we saw an increase in our fundraising dollars so whenever you can excite your fan base and your parents and and those they're, they're willing to donate a little bit more as well, which was certainly much needed. And then moving forward into this season, as well as budgets are thin, it, it, was, it was really great. And then for recruiting as well, again, it, it just rubber stamps uh, that we have a great program. When, when we are recruiting, I always tell our, our prospects and their parents that anything we say we want to be able to prove we're meeting these individuals for maybe the first or second time and they're going to all of these campuses and so we say how can we separate ourselves so we always like to publish data and and we think a, a win total albeit isn't the end all be all it, it there has to be a good structure there has to be a good um, talent on our roster there has to be good coaches on our roster and then we want to, we always publish our, our team GPA. We think that is something that is extremely important because we can say there is a balance here and that our students succeed in the classroom. And we know that to be true. And we know that we have wonderful faculty here who care about them, but you have to be able to prove some of those things. And so we want to show them that they can do that here as well. For our team, I don't know if there's one thing or two things that we've done to carry the momentum, I think each year is totally unique. Each talent is totally unique. And so now I think we have a standard of excellence uh, that we've had for many, many years, um, but maybe even taking it up a notch these last few years. And so our players understand the work ethic that it takes in the weight room. They understand the, the time constraints that they may have that the general student public doesn't have. And so they're really, really dialed in to, to being successful. And, and I think that is, is where we move forward from here into 2021 in our spring semester. And then obviously, hopefully the fall of 2021 as well. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about when everyone comes back and we go back to having a, a regular schedule is the decisions that, that athletes have to make the athletes who would have been seniors this year, who decided to graduate on time and forgo their last year of football, who decided to take an extra semester, who decided to transfer to maybe to some school that was playing earlier or was closer to home or for whatever reason. I think there's, when everybody comes back, there's gonna kind of be a little bit of an unknown factor about who, who is back for each team and who isn't, which normally from year to year is, is easier to predict. It's been individual conversations with so many, but it is something that we're concerned about. And how do we best address that? One of the, the biggest things that we have talked about as a staff and even as a department as well is our student athletes who left as sophomores when they come back for football and the fall sports, they'll be seniors. 
and they've missed maybe that big leap year where they could have stepped into a starting role. They could have stepped into a, a leadership role. And again, you think about our quarterback, Mike Nikowski, for example, was a two-year starter, but as a junior was named captain. And so if, if, if that situation had happened with him and he didn't have that year of leadership under his belt, and then we thrust him into this leadership role as a senior, those are things that are what we want to talk about, what we want to address. There will be a getting to know each other factor. Our freshmen will know each other, but our upperclassmen will not know them. And even in these first few weeks with our, our pod training in, in groups and small groups of 10 to 12 individuals, you may not see somebody for the first two weeks of being on campus. And team, uniform, unity, all of those things that we talk about, uh, one heartbeat with our program, how are we going to incorporate them in an environment where it's difficult to see and connect with individuals? So we've looked at some leadership programs. Uh, we've looked at some outside organizations potentially coming to campus. And, and then we've tried to do some things virtually, and we will continue to do those as well. But it certainly is a major, major concern of ours moving forward. I mean, you know, it is a concern, but I, I guess having the success of the program to, to build on, that has to be a big help to, to alleviate that concern that this is a team uh, and a program that, that your, your students want to play in. I was, I was talking with a member of your team, Peter Taylor, recently, who's in his senior year, and he has decided to come back for his ninth semester to play this fall. And he said for him, it was a no-brainer. You know, he missed a year with injury and, and also the success of the team. He mentioned he had a friend at another school in the conference that has not been so successful. And, and that individual just decided, you know, it, it just wasn't worth it to come back. So at, at least from that standpoint, you know, having the success that the program has had, that should hopefully that will encourage people to, uh, you know, to make those decisions. As a football coach, if I didn't have concerns, I don't know if I'd be any good at my job. We always <laughs> worry about things. And after the fact, somebody will go, Ah, you knew this one was in the bag when you showed up and you're just going, not a chance. There's never a day <laughs> where something doesn't pop up. Um, but it, it certainly, it does feel good when you have some of these seniors who are deciding to come back because they want to be part of the program. It, it is many instances, the student athletes are torn right now between their passion and their profession. And, and for some, uh, they're able to have the ability to to stay with their passion and for Pete especially who epitomizes our program Pete has I think some some goals he has yet to accomplish Pete has been an on the cusp type of player and had a couple of injury setbacks and so when he and I spoke that was fueling his decision as much as anything as saying coach I know I'm a terrific player. I've been right there. I've been an integral part of this team. I think he had two or three special teams tackles against Mount Union uh, as a sophomore. And, and so he was, he's right there and, and still has those, those aspirations. And, and he doesn't want to have any lament about what could have been uh, in his career. And so each individual, each family, we've had a number of one-on-one -on -one conversations with them, but the, the, you're absolutely right. The desire to be around our program is very, very strong. 
and our players are very passionate about uh, Muhlenberg College football and, and the benefits that it brings to, to them and their families. All right, so we're talking with Nate Millen, the head football coach at Muhlenberg, and uh, we like to end all our podcasts with some getting to know you type questions. So uh, let's fire away, coach. First of all, what's your favorite quote? That's an easy one. And our players will, will they should know this as well. They bust my, my chops all the time uh, about it, but I think it's so true. And, and I'm sure it's from somebody else, but I got it from Lou Holtz. And it is 10% of life is what happens to you and 90% is how you respond. And, and I think that's just a good outlook on life. You're going to have to overcome adversity. You're going to have to overcome success. Uh, you know, if you let things go to your head, and so that is something that we try to preach to, to our players all of the time. You get a first down, that doesn't mean we're going to win the game. Uh, it means you got you got to move forward. And so how do we respond from those types of activities that happen to us? So I, again, if somebody can correct us on this as to the original sayings of that, and maybe it's one of those generic blanket statements that nobody knows. It comes from Greek mythology. Um, <laughs> thousands of years ago. But yeah, 10% of life is what happens to you and 90% is how you respond. And, and we think that we do a pretty good job with that. Especially appropriate during these times, right? For sure. I think that it was, you know, we had hammered at home for a number of years <laughs> and Todd Spurt, uh, the, the school's all-time leading point scorer here with our place kicker. I think Todd had all of my post-game kind of speeches and things like that memorized. And, and so he could give them as, as much as anybody else. All of my stories, all of my little anecdotes, and I'd have to tell Todd to, to, to keep his mouth shut when I was getting ready to talk because I knew he knew it and I didn't want him to spoil the surprise <laughs> for, for our freshmen who hadn't heard the story for, for three or four consecutive years. This next question, I'm, I'm going to try to answer for you. Uh, what is something about you that people would be surprised to learn? Could you talk about your singing background? Yeah, so that was when I talked on the, the D3Football.com podcast with Pat Coleman, and I do. So my family is pretty musically inclined. We were, we were just actually, I had a Zoom last night with my father, Rocky, who lives in, in our hometown of Jamestown, New York, and we, had, we bought a guitar uh, for Matthew recently. My dad is an avid guitar player. And he's come here to Allentown and, and we've gone over to the Martin Guitar Factory and he, and he picked out a new guitar over there. And then my mother was super, she, she sang in our church choir. Uh, she played the French horn, she played the piano. And so it was kind of always in our house. And my sister played instruments. My brother dabbled a little bit, but not as much as the rest of us. And then with athletics, it was really hard for me to play an instrument, you know, between the private lessons and things like that. But, but chorus and choir was easy because that was done in school. And so you had to have a music requirement in high school. And so we signed up for the mixed chorus at Jamestown High School, legendary choir director, Brian Bogey. And then I had a good year. So again, I always sang in church and things like that and had a good year in there. And then he asked me to try out for the acapella choir, which is the super select group at Jamestown High School. And sure enough, I made it. And, and the other one is here is I can't read music. And so I, I like I just sing and I kind of mes memorize the notes. So I had a good sophomore and junior year. And then my senior year, 
he asked me to try out for the Madrigal Choir. And so the acapella is just under 80 individuals. And Jamestown High School is maybe 2,000, about the same size as uh, Muhlenberg. And the Madrigals was like 26 students in the entire student body. And somehow I made that as well. And so it is. it was wonderful. So I was a senior in the Madrigal Choir. And the best part about it was, and again, this is going to sound terrible, but it is what it is when you're 17, 18 years old. During the holidays, we had tons and tons of performances. And so I was almost never in school during the month of <laughs> December. And so we would perform here and perform there and do that kind of stuff. And again, fortunately, I was a good student where it didn't cost me anything. And then as well, we performed in Disney World uh, and, and all of if any of my friends are listening in the world's longest bus ride down to uh, Walt Disney World in Orlando. And then our senior year, we went to London uh, and did a tour of many cathedrals and sang over there as well. So it is something that uh, I grew up with. It's something that I'm passionate about. I don't sing much anymore, especially not in season when I'm, when I'm yelling at the officials or yelling at the offensive line. My voice is a little bit raspy, and so I don't have that, uh, that angelic bass voice that, that I used to have as an 18-year-old. And then I actually sang two semesters at Hobart as well in college. Certainly didn't make their select group, but I'd taken a couple of years off, and, and there were some students in some theater and the performing arts students who were much more serious about it. They could actually read notes, and so they knew music. And the choir director had me, it's like, all right, sing this for me. And I'm going, I can't read notes. And, and so I go, but I can sing. And so he asked me to sing a couple songs. And, uh, and he's like, well, you can make this choir. But he goes, you can't make, you can't make our, our acapella and our select groups. And I go, great. You know, I wasn't, like, with football, I wasn't interested in doing that. But it was something that was, that was still kind of there for our family. And so it, it is, it's, it's awesome. And again, it provides a, a little bit of that, that yin and the yang uh, of being this, this student athlete throughout high school uh, and the, the, the machismo that comes with being captain of the football team. And then also being able to be in the performing arts as well, I thought was a good blend. And again, something that a lot of people didn't understand. There were a handful of football players in the mixed chorus and then maybe just uh, one or two of us in the acapella choir. And then I think I might've been the only football player in the Madrigals. I know one of my best friends uh, was a soccer player, John Moots, and he was in the Madrigals with me, but I don't know if there was another football player at the time. I know there have been, but at the time, I don't know if there was. I don't remember, it was a long time ago. But yeah, me, long story longer, me being a singer is probably the one thing that uh, people wouldn't, wouldn't guess or wouldn't know. Yeah, no, maybe uh, maybe after you retire as a very successful football coach, you can uh, uh, revive your uh, your singing career and, and and sing the national anthem at some Mule football games. Megan Petruno always, because she knows she doesn't know the whole story, maybe, but I've told them about my prowess uh, as a uh, angelic voice of. Uh, the the songbird of my generation, from, <laughs> Will Ferrell, and and so she always asks if, if I'm ready to sing the national anthem. And no, it's it's been quite some time. Um, <laughs> I'll just do it with the team out on the field, not not with the microphone or anything like that. All right. Well, we'll we'll try to sneak a camera in uh, in, in to get yeah. that. Next question: uh, Who did you see at your first concert? 
I, 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 you sent me that one and I really don't even remember. We, we would go to the Chautauqua Institute and they always had some performers. The easy answer, the easy answer is the 10,000 Maniacs. Uh, Natalie Merchant uh, and the 10,000 Maniacs are from Jamestown. And so I wanna say that's the easy answer as they would usually come back around the holidays or 4th of July for the summer and, and do a concert there and and then i don't know uh what the other one was and i do know my first one in college though we went to suny geneseo which is just a short drive from from geneva new york and where my good friend uh, dan prinzi uh, was a student he's from jamestown as well and there were a couple of us from hobart including my, one of my good friends craig swanson who played quarterback with us as well and we went to geneseo to see nelly in concert uh nelly yeah which was great it was awesome and now he was performing i know on new year's eve this is the uh the kind of the 20th anniversary of his country grammar album all the songs that all the songs that that we grew up with in in our freshman year of college so shout out shout out to nelly in country grammar uh good good for you to drop those uh drop those (laughs) hip-hop references all right last question before we let you go if you could sit down for a meal with one person living or past who would it be that's an easy, I saw that one was easy. It'd be my mother. My mother passed away a little more than a decade uh, ago. And she was, uh, her and my father, obviously, uh, my, my number one fan. And, uh, and so just such an inspiration on our entire family. And I would just love uh, one more meal uh, with her at some point in time. Uh, and so that would be really, really easy. And maybe I'd love to bring Matthew and Nicholas along as well. They have, they've never had the opportunity to meet her. And so my wife, Kristen, did. And so Matthew and Nicholas have, have never met their grandmother. And so I think that would be really, really an easy answer, just to have one more one more meal with her. All right, Coach Nate Mellon, head coach of the Muhlenberg football team. Hope to see the mules back on the field sometime soon this this spring semester. And then, you know, definitely, hopefully this fall, we'll see uh, another full year of mule football. So thank you for joining us today, Coach. Appreciate it. Thanks so much and dig in. Dig in. The Muhlenberg Mules podcast is a production of the Muhlenberg Office of Athletic Communications with Joe Widener, Zoe Keim, and Marty the Mule. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at mulespodcast at muhlenberg.edu or call our pod line at 484-664-4001 and leave a message. We will answer questions in future episodes. The Muhlenberg Mules podcast is available on Apple, and Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us and recommend us to your friends. For the latest in Muhlenberg College Athletics, please follow us on social media at M-U-H-L underscore S-P-O-R-T-S. Until next week, Go Mules!